Matthew chapter number 21 this morning in your Bibles, we'll begin reading in verse number 33. Jesus giving a, a grouping of parables and his audience is primarily the chief priests, rulers and leaders of the Jews' religion and the synagogue. And the Lord's giving them parables and he's talking about them. He's letting them know that they're rejecting God's chosen Messiah for their uh, for the Jews' religion. God had uh, established the Jews' religion through Moses and promised that the Messiah would come. And uh, now Jesus was there. And we're going to watch the rulers and leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, uh, reject Jesus as Messiah and Lord. And so Jesus is giving parables and is showing them things and teaching them. And today we're going to look at the parable of the wicked husbandman. And uh, these... Uh, this parable is a fascinating story and one with great meaning. There's an application in this parable to the nation of Israel. And there's an application in this parable to the lost, people who do not know Jesus by faith as Savior. And there's an application in this parable to God's people, the church, and a reminder of some things that we need to study and look at. In Matthew chapter number 21... We'll begin our reading in verse number 33. Matthew 21 and verse number 33. The Bible says, Hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and led it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, He sent his servants to the husbandman that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandman saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. And they called him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus saith unto them, did ye never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables. They perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. And we look at this passage of Scripture, we're going to talk today about the parable of the wicked husband. If you're a note taker, I appreciate folks that take notes. There's going to be two main points. The first point is the story. The second point is the sermon. Is the sermon. 
And then uh, I'll give you some points under that. But uh, the story and the sermon, I want to break it up in two places, the story and the sermon. Let's look first at the story. This is a fascinating story and one that we can kind of become familiar with. We have the story of the faithful householder and the wicked husbandman. So the Bible says in verse number 33 that here in another parable there was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about and digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. And so you have this man, a householder. This is a man that has abilities. This is a man that has, uh, has resources. This is a man that had the capacity and capability of buying a farm Planting a vineyard, putting a hedge about it to protect it, digging a wine press so that they could produce and make a profit and be a profitable place. And he has a builds a tower. You can see the tower going up. Some folks believe that the tower was a place to watch out for uh, trouble, or the tower also could have been a place where water would have been uh, stored so that you had like irrigation. Uh, at any rate, this householder was a man of great means, and he prepared and provided a place. He provided a vineyard so that a group of people, husbandmen, could be there, they could thrive, they could work the system. And the byproduct would they, was that they would have life and substance and sustenance because of the investment of the householder. If we were to put this into terms that maybe you understand in southwest Virginia, a man buys a big farm and builds fence on it and puts barns on it and buys a tractor and builds a working chute and prepares in a place where farm and cattle can be raised for profit and for food. And then he gives it to somebody to rent. And what I want you to do is, I've prepared all this, I want you to work it, and when it comes time, when you sell the cattle, you give me the rent, and you survive and do well on the other. And so the story is that the householder provided a vineyard. The householder did something that the husbandmen were not able to do and made a way possible so that the householders, the workers, could thrive in life and living. The story is the householder provided a vineyard. But then we meet up with the husbandman. The Bible says in verse number 34, And when the time of the fruit drew near, it's time to pay the rent. He sent his servants to the husbandman that they might receive the fruits of it. The deal was that the servants of the householder that had bought the vineyard and made the investment were sent to take and pick up what was rightfully his. Now, this is not a, 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 an unfair deal. This was something that was very fair and righteous and uh, wholesome and good. And the householder had every right to come and request the rent. Is it unfair if you rent somebody something that you ask them to pay the rent? No, it's not unfair. It's absolutely right. So, the husbandman refused to pay the rent. And the story goes like this. The householder sends his servants. The Bible says in verse number 35, the husbandman uh, took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. On the first trip, servants of the man that had made the great investment and made it possible for these folks to have a good living, the servants were beaten and killed and stoned. Verse 36, again he sent other servants more than the first. 
and they did unto them likewise. Verse 37. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they called him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. Here's what happens. You have the householder who provided a vineyard. And you have the husbandman who agreed to work the vineyard and reap the benefit and the blessing. But when the householder requires of them the rent, they reject the servants that came to collect. And they reject more servants that came to collect. And finally, the householder said, surely they won't reject my own son. He sends his own son. And they not only reject his son, but they kill the son. And what a terrible situation. So Jesus is telling the story to the Pharisees and chief priests. Now, the direct connection to the Pharisees and the chief priests is very, very plain and simple. God is the householder. God has made it possible and made a system in which that when Jesus comes, the Jews were to take the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ and preach the gospel to the world, and the world would come to faith in Jesus. But the householders that God had put in charge of his vineyard, the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests and rulers and leaders in the Jews' religion, when the servants of God came, for instance, John the Baptist, what did they do? They murdered him. And finally, when Jesus came, they would crucify Jesus. And the Bible gives us this picture, and he said, Jesus speaking to this group of scribes and Pharisees, chief priests and rulers in the synagogue, he says, here's the deal. We set up something that you could thrive in, but you've rejected me. You won't do it my way. You won't accept my own son. And because of that, he said, that the kingdom of God will be taken from you. In the story, there's punishment and loss of blessing. Jesus tells this story. The householders provided. The husbandmen have, uh, have murdered the servants and finally murdered the son. And so Jesus looks at the Pharisees and chief priests, and he says to them in verse number 40, When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? He looks at these guys and he says, when the householder comes back to clean this mess up, what's he going to do? And the Pharisees and the chief priests, the Bible says in verse number 41, they say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruits in their seasons. You know what they said? I'll tell you what's going to happen. The householder who built this great vineyard and trusted the, I mean, the, uh, who the householder who trusted the husbandman, he's going to utterly destroy them. And he's going to give it to somebody who'll do something right and good with it. And Jesus says, you know what? You're exactly right. You're exactly right. You see, the story is pretty plain, isn't it? God had entrusted the nation of Israel with a great treasure, an opportunity. They rejected the messengers of God. They rejected 
Jesus as Messiah. And because of that, they lost the kingdom of heaven, the opportunity. The church, the Gentiles, have been commissioned to preach the gospel to the ends of the world. That's the bottom line of the story. Let's talk about, just a minute, the sermon. Let's talk about the sermon, the story and the sermon. Look with me in verse 42. The sermon. The Bible says in verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The sermon, number one, point number one under the sermon is this. Jesus is God's provision for abundant life and eternal salvation. Jesus is God's provision for abundant life and eternal salvation. Let me tell you something. There is no way around it. Jesus is the only Savior. You see the problem that the Pharisees and the chief priests had where they were rejecting God's own son. God had said, I've prepared something for you. I've prepared something for you that will give you life and abundant life and eternal life. If you'll work in the system that I've designed and given you and you'll accept my own son as the Messiah and Savior, I'm going to bless you. But the wicked husbandman said, I will not do that. Now, I want you to understand something. Uh, we're not primarily a Jewish community here, and we need to support. By the way, let me just clear off something here. The Bible is very plain that the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, rejected Jesus as Savior. By and large, the Jews to this moment reject Jesus Christ as Messiah. Most Jews do not believe that Jesus that we worship and serve that has saved our soul, that that Jesus is the Messiah. They're waiting, still waiting on another Messiah. So if they're wrong and they reject Jesus, that means that Christian people need to be against Israel. Absolutely, teetotally not. God has made it very plain that he's going to raise his people. There's going to be great revival among the Jewish people in the end times. God loves his people. He's chosen the nation of Israel. And Christians, Bible-believing Christians, support without apology the nation of Israel, even though the nation of Israel as a whole has rejected our Jesus, our Savior. The church is to support and honor and stand with the nation of Israel without apology. Is that clear enough? Did I beat around the bush? I didn't think so. But it's a sad story because they rejected the sermon. Jesus is God's provision for abundant life and eternal salvation. How does this apply to me, preacher? I'm glad you ask. Do you know that God has made a way for us to have a life that is good and right. He's provided for us. He wants to guide us. He wants to protect us. He's given us all we need to thrive in life. You see, God has a will for our life. Folks, we like to think sometimes that we are the big cheese, that we are the reason that we're on our own two feet. But the truth is, if we have any sense in our brains at all, we know that we don't have anything that God did not provide for us. God is faithful. We need Him. You need Him. And God has provided for us. Now, God has provided for us all in different ways. And he's got different emphasis in our lives. And we're all uniquely designed. But we're uniquely designed to function and work inside of his will. 
We're to do the will of God. We're to yearn in our hearts to know and do the will of God. We are to humbly obey God and follow Him. And we, in this picture, in this story, in this sermon, you see God has designed His will. He set it up for us. He's, provi- he's provided a farm that we can work. He's provided the, the, the protection that we need, the resources that we need. He's made it possible that we can live. And what we are to do is we are to submit to God, do God's will, obey God, And honor him and make Jesus king and lord of our lives. You see, Jesus is God's provision for abundant life and eternal salvation. Here's what the Bible says about that in verse 42. Jesus says to them, did you never read in the scripture the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. So Jesus looks at these chief priests and these uh, Pharisees and he he says, have you read in the scriptures? And they had... Have you read in the Old Testament that the Bible says that the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? He says, I want you to know something. I'm that stone. Jesus says, I'm that stone. I'm the one that they rejected. They rejected him. They rejected Christ. And they rejected Christ. And when they rejected Christ, they are to know and to understand the one they rejected is going to be the very one that the whole church is built on. The stone that the builders rejected is same became, has, has become the chief cornerstone. Now look, this stone, I want you to know, Jesus is God's provision for abundant life and eternal salvation. Folks, do not reject Jesus. Do not reject Jesus. You see, when we get this spirit that says, you know, I know God's plan, I know God's system, and I know how what that I should be looking for God's will, but this is 2023, and I want to do things my way. And I think God excuses some of our sins. I mean, it's just the culture which we live in, that we can live in sin. We can be sexually promiscuous. We can be, uh, we can take on drugs and alcohol and filth and welcome those things into our lives. This is 2023. I can watch whatever I want to on TV and listen to whatever I want to uh, on, on the radio. I can do whatever I want to. God's a God of great mercy and grace. And you're right, he is. But let me tell you something. God wants you to function inside of his will. And if you'll surrender to God's will and make Jesus king and Lord of your life, and you'll just say, Lord, you've provided for me an opportunity to be blessed of you, and I'm going to work inside of your will, guess what happens? When you surrender to Jesus as your provider, he's going to give you abundant life. But when you reject him, there's a problem. You see, the husbandmen in this story, they worked the will of God, but then they got so cocky about themselves. They got so worked up about how important they were. They got so sideways and wrong about the provider of the vineyard. They messed up. Jesus is God's provision for abundant life and eternal salvation. Number two. Submission to Jesus produces God's will for life and eternity. He said the stone that you're rejecting is the stone that all this is going to be built on. They rejected Jesus. You and I need to welcome Jesus and and seek and search and long for his will. Number two, submission to Jesus produces God's will for life and eternity. Look what the Bible says in verse 43. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you. And given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. What happens? Submission to Jesus produces God's will. He says, look, if you'll submit to me, the kingdom of God will be yours. But if you don't, 
Verse 43, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you. What did God say was going to happen in Israel? He says, he says you're not going to submit to Jesus as, as Savior, as Lord, as Messiah. You are going to lose your opportunity to function and thrive in the kingdom of God. Now, how does this apply to you today? I'll tell you. If you don't submit to Jesus as your Savior, you're going to miss out on God's perfect will. And when you do submit to Jesus, you get God's blessing. You see, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you. They said, look, you're not submitting to the Lord. You're going to lose your opportunity. Now, there, how many of you love it when something gets taken from you? Isn't it great? I mean, it starts early. You can go to the nursery. It probably happened this morning in the nursery. One kid takes something from another kid, and the other kid's like, oh, that's cool. Just help yourself. No problem. <laughs> oh, no. They take one toy, and it's like, ah, the end of the world, you know? I don't like for things to be taken from me. As a matter of fact, the thoughts of some things being taken from me makes me act a certain way. I have a home and a mortgage. And you know what? Every month I'm very careful to pay that mortgage payment. Do you know why? Because I don't want the bank to take my house away. That would be embarrassing and cold. You see, I don't want that taken from me. And so, therefore, I act a certain way. I love my family. And I know that there's ways in which a man can act that can cost him his family. And therefore, I go to extreme measures to provide, to be at home at night, to love on my wife and love on my kids and the best of my ability, maintain an influence in their lives. You know why? Because I don't lose them. It's important. And folks, we need to know that if we're going to have God's best for our life and not lose the blessing of God in our life, it's going to require God's people submitting to God's will and seeking to do and please Him. Oh, how many times have folks gone their own way and said, I don't need God and God's provision. I'll do things my own way. But the end result is they lost the blessing of God, the power of God, the spirit of God. Oh, I beg of you. In Jesus' sermon to these folks, you, he wanted them to submit. If you submit, you don't lose the blessing and power of God. But if you reject Jesus... It's going to produce judgment. That's the third point. Rejecting Jesus produces judgment. Just like in the story, there was punishment going to fall on the heads of those husbandmen, wicked husbandmen that killed the son and servants of the householder. Rejecting Jesus produces judgment. Look what the Bible says in verse number 44. The Bible says, Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. The first part of this is kind of fascinating. The Bible says, whosoever shall fall on this stone. We talk about the stone. Who's the stone? The stone's Jesus. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. That's going to be the chief cornerstone. The stone is Jesus. The Bible says, whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. Now, let me tell you something. Being broken is not bad. Don't forget this. Being broken is not bad. So the Bible says, whosoever shall fall on this stone is broken. The Bible says it's going to be, that's good. 
Whosoever shall fall on the stone shall be broken. That's good. Let me tell you something. If you'll fall on your face and humble yourself before the Lord Jesus, there's going to be seasons of brokenness. You know what's going to happen? You're going to have conviction of sin. You're going to feel guilty for how dirty, rotten dog you've been lately. If you fall at the feet of Jesus and submit to him, he's going to convict you of your sin. He's going to guide you to do some things. I remember many times in my Christian life that broken was good. I got to the place where I knew that I needed to say no to that sin and yes to Jesus. And I praise God for every time that I fell on that rock, which is Jesus, and was broken. A broken spirit is one that God can use. You see, there was... The, the folks in our story, they didn't have a broken spirit. They had worked and the, the farm, the vineyard that the householder had provided. And when it came time to pay what was due the householder and do what the householder wanted, they felt so proud of themselves for all the work. that I can just hear them talking. I'll tell you one thing, that old rich man that's on a far journey, he has no clue what we've done this year. It doesn't matter. Of course he knew what they'd done this year. They, he had provided it all for them. But they got all, they said, I'll tell you one thing, we've done all the work, we're not giving him nothing. And you know, we get this foolish idea. There was somebody provided something for us, and then we feel so proud of ourselves that we, un, we don't feel like we have any debt at all. Let me tell you something, we're all debtors to God. And in our hearts, you know what we do? We get so full of ourselves and pride that we think, I don't need God. I don't need to give to God what God requires. I don't need to live a holy life. I don't need to live a separated life. I don't need to read my Bible and attend church. I don't need to be faithful. Let me tell you what you do. You begin to think somehow that you're as powerful as God is and you've got as much understanding as God does and you're walking down a path that leads to great destruction. You know what we need to do? We need to get to the place where we fall on that rock, which is Jesus, and we're broken. And we say, Lord, please forgive me. Lord, please guide me. Please help me. Please protect me. Let me tell you something. If you found yourself recently in a place where you don't know what to do and you've come to Jesus broken, you wait and see God's going to prove himself faithful. Brokenness is good. Oh, so many times in my Christian life I've been brokenhearted. Brokenness helps. You know what we need to do? We need to fall on that rock which is Jesus and surrender our wills to him and be broken before the Lord. And it's the Lord that will pick us up. You see, if we don't become broken before the Lord, then rejecting Jesus produces judgment. Look what the rest of that verse says. Verse 44 Whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Well, look at the difference. In one instance, you fall on the stone. In the other instance, the stone falls on you. Let me tell you something. You can either bow before the Lord or you can be crushed and his judgment. It's not a very popular message, but it's an important message. It's the message of God's word. If you reject Jesus as Lord and King and Messiah and Savior, the end result is the judging hand of God. 
The Bible says there's a point in a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. And the Bible says this, you can either fall on the stone and be broken. Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm thankful for your faithful provision. I'm thankful for your will that promised to give us abundant life. I'm thankful. Or you can go headlong in your stubborn pride and let the stone fall on you. The Bible says that the stone will grind him to powder. There's judgment and wrath and destruction and hell awaiting those who reject Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus looks at these men, the Pharisees and the chief priests. And if you think the Lord preaches a message like this, he says, you fall on the stone or the stone will fall on you. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. That's not the spirit of Christ. I can't help but think as Jesus preached this message. On this particular day, his heart was broken. You know what Jesus was doing? He was extending one more opportunity for these hard-hearted Jews to humble themselves and welcome and receive him by faith as their Savior. And on a day like today, you're here and you've come to a place where you think, I'm going to do life my way. I'm not going to be a faithful Christian. I'm not going to submit to the word of God. I'm not going to live a holy life separated to God. I'm going to live in sin. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live the Let me tell you something. If you're here and you're saved, I think you'll stay saved. But I will tell you this. I'm confident that you will suffer greatly. And I'm confident you'll regret every day that you live in rebellion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because rejecting Jesus produces judgment. The next two verses and the last two verses of this chapter are very sad. The Bible says, When the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spoke of them. What's that say? These guys, they hear his parables and they're like, Whoa, he's talking about us. Jesus is talking about us. Jesus is telling us we need to get right. And maybe you're here today and you know that this parable is talking to you. You're living in sin and rebellion. You've turned your back on God. You're excusing wickedness that you know is wrong, that's hurting you and your family. And you know that Jesus is talking to you today. At this moment, these guys perceived that Jesus, God in the flesh, was preaching right to them. What did they do? I'll tell you what they should have done. They should have fallen on the rock and been broken and repented of their sin. And with God's help, live for Jesus and for his glory. They should have got saved that day. But the Bible says in verse 46, but when they sought to lay hands on him, you know what they wanted to do? They wanted to shut him up. They sought to lay hands on him. The Bible says they feared the multitude. Boy, these are big men, aren't they? These are men of great principle. They're going to stand up for what's right. No, they're scared to death of what the multitude might think. They feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. In the book of Mark, the Bible says that they went their way. Let me tell you, it's a really sad day. These folks who Jesus loved 
and would soon die for. What did they do? They rejected him. They turned their back on him. They wouldn't fall and be broken. And the end of these men, if they never repented of their sin, was the stone crushing into powder, punishment and judgment, and eternal hell. You see, God wants you and I to live according to his will. His will is a spot, a place provided and prepared by him where we can thrive. Oh, it's good to be in God's will. Don't reject him. Don't reject him. Put your trust in Jesus today.